Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me, as always, my partner in life, my wife. Just Jen. Just Jen. And uh, I'm super excited for today's show. We're going to be talking with Matt Harline. And um, very interesting story was in a bicycle accident about four years ago and uh, experienced some significant head trauma. He doesn't have a lot of memories regarding exactly what happened, Mm -hmm. but um, certainly he has had some um, difficulty getting back into normal life. obstacles. He's had some obstacles. He has triumphed. He has overcome those obstacles. Mm -hmm. So that was four years ago. And then he had a double whammy. He lost... Um, some structures and a property, his art studio. We'll talk a little bit about that, but he lost it in the campfire. So this guy has faced some adversity in the yeah, last four years. And I punch. think it was a one-two punch for him. I, I would imagine that it would just feel like life has handed you a, a bunch of uh, sour apples. But this guy, he's turned it around. Um, he's positive. He's encouraging. I think he's got an excellent, excellent take on life now. Okay. And so I'm super excited to get into it. Let's call him. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Hello. Hello there. Hello there. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm great. So, Matt, um, tell us, if you can, a little bit about your story, because the reality of it is is that um, Stephanie just uh, sent that introductory text, etc., and uh, that's about all I know about you. I was an electrical computer engineer hardware engineer for a long time. Uh, I worked for Hewlett Packard in Roseville. Actually, I worked for Hewlett Packard down in Palo Alto for a little while and then, then moved up here to uh, the Sacramento area. Uh, in 2012, they gave me a retirement offer I couldn't refuse. And so I got a job with another high-tech company in the area. I worked for them for a few years. And then uh, four years ago, I was actually shopping for a bicycle with the intent was uh I was a scoutmaster, and that summer we were going to be going on a bike trip around Lake Tahoe. As I was test riding some of these bicycles, I was in a parking lot that was empty for a Saturday afternoon, and it just so happened that a pickup truck appeared in front of me. I don't remember exactly what happened, but my mind blanks out. Those memories aren't in my brain, so I, I can't recover them. Next thing I know, I'm on the ground and Someone sliding a backboard underneath me, asking me questions like, what's your address? And I couldn't remember my address. And then uh, someone asked me if they could cut off my shirt. Okay, <laughs> I guess if you need to, go ahead. Um, and then I was in an ambulance going to Sutter Roseville Hospital. Got the chance to stay in that hospital in the ICU for five days. And then it's what they call a traumatic brain injury. And uh, some have said it's a mild traumatic brain injury. Others say it's a, it's a moderate traumatic brain injury. It's not a matter of mild being not so bad, but uh, mild is just a degree, level of degree that doctors use. So you you were obviously struck. Somebody hit you with a car or a truck. Right. So I don't know exactly how things happened. I saw the pickup truck off to the right. I don't remember if it was approaching or not, but I hit the driver's door of the pickup truck. So Strictly speaking, I ran into the truck. Okay. I'm not sure how the truck got in front of me. I, I don't remember. I can't tell. I'm alive. 
I I felt okay. Of course, I was drugged up for those five days I was in the hospital. So I had broken ribs. I had a fracture of my skull. Uh, there was blood coming out of my left ear, and I was kind of sore, but I was okay. Was there anyone else around you that knew what had happened? Well, the driver, uh, I've never talked with the driver. Mm-hmm. The driver, of course, was there, and he called 911. And apparently I was up and walking around. It so happens that the, the, the drive worked in those uh, those office buildings. And I have a nephew who works for the same company. And the next uh, Monday, they were in talking about things that happened over the weekend. And my nephew was hearing about this thing that happened to his uncle that he didn't even know it was his uncle that was involved. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, apparently, I was walking around, and this man felt like I should not be walking around. I should be on the ground. And so he apparently, I, I was resisting that, and he needed to kind of keep me on the ground by by force of some, some way, sitting on top of me or something. like. I, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember. I don't right, remember any of that. Right. The stories I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be surreal in and of itself, you know, to have no memories of the actual accident itself and to only have bits and pieces fragmented together and you're trying to assemble like what what happened how how did i get in this kind of a situation well, and that's normal for a traumatic brain injury most people that have traumatic brain injuries don't remember the accident a little later on in the story a year after that i started going to a support group for people with brain injuries and you just find all sorts of different people a lot of similar stories Half of them are motorcycle accidents. Half of them, well, not, I shouldn't say half. There's, there's a number of people that have, were involved in motorcycle accidents, a number of people that were involved in being rear-ended by someone with uh, that was texting, wasn't paying attention to what was going on, and, and their lives get turned upside down. I have no doubt about that. And, you know, traumatic brain injuries are nothing that you want to mess with. And I, I think that's probably a protection no. mechanism is the, is the fact that you don't have memories of that. I think that that would further add to the trauma if you could remember every little detail of what happened. Yeah, it, it may be part of uh, protection, but also you know, memories have to get imprinted in your brain. If you're knocked out, you don't have a, there's no chance for that memory, those, those events the feelings, the, the sights, the, the senses that you had at the time of the accident, they just never get stored in your men, in your memory. So it's not there. It's just not the, the available, yeah. I've learned, <laughs> the, the, the things I've learned since, <laughs> since my, my brain injury about how the brain works. I guess in one respect, that's fascinating in and of, in and of itself. I've often mused that I'm, I'm one, of these, uh, one of these strange people that, you know, if you go back seven, eight hundred years and, and someone was burning me at the stake for whatever reason, I'd be curious how they stacked the wood and how they tied my hands and who set the fire and how quickly it took off. You know, I'm just weird in, in, in that way, you know, just the life experiences yeah. that you that you go through. I imagine for you, you know, having somebody slide a back brace underneath you, having no context for what had just happened, that had to have been an anxiety moment in and of itself. What's happening? Why are they cutting off my shirt? Why am I here? What's going to happen to me yeah, now? I, um, I didn't have any of those thoughts. I just, I didn't know. I, I was on the ground. I, I didn't know what, what happened. I didn't, I knew where I was. I knew what I had been doing. Three weeks afterwards, I called up the bike shop because I wanted to say, you know, how much do I owe you for the damage I did to your bike? The response was, the bike wasn't damaged hardly at all. A few scratches and that was it. And I'm thinking, how in the world did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> but 
But uh, that's you know, interesting. I, and I, I, I wish I knew how this all happened so that I could just kind of rationalize that all in my mind. But I, I can't remember. It's not important. I just I am where I am right now, and I just move forward. Yeah, you just have to. Like, there's no other choice. Right. You yeah. can't you can't uh, you, you just got to be onward. And so how has this now affected you? Like what were the ancillary effects of this event in your life? You know, the first few weeks, first few months. Well, you know, at, at, at first I thought, well, you know, this is this is something like a broken leg or something that you uh, surgery, minor surgery or something. You have to recover and then you go back to work. And soon after I was released from the hospital. I started seeing a speech therapist, speech pathologist at Sutter Roseville Rehabilitation Center. Got a chance to talk with her. First time my wife and I both were in talking with her. And then after that, I was doing some cognitive therapy with her. She was very good about explaining to me what uh, what to expect and uh, said, you know, it's going to take you a while. And, and the crazy thing is she was doing tests with me and I could tell that my brain wasn't working quite the way it used to. Going through exercises uh, with her, I was able to, uh, to improve and, and get a little bit better. But there's, the thing is when, when your brain is injured like that, your brain is very flexible and is able to rewire itself. They call it neuroplasticity. And you're able to figure out how to do things over again using different parts of your brain. But it takes a while to, to do that, and it's slower. It takes more brain energy to, to work through all that. After two and a half months, the, my therapist and I decided, okay, I'm probably good enough to go back to work. But she cautioned that the way I should go back to work and the way it's worked with other people is to go to work on Monday and work for four hours and then rest the rest of the day and take the next day off to recuperate. And then work four hours on Wednesday, take Thursday off. Work four hours on Friday, take Saturday and Sunday off. That's 12 hours a week. I was thinking, wow, yeah, that's, that seems crazy to, have to, to need to have a whole day off to recover from four hours of work. I found out that I needed it. It's not crazy uh, at all. My, uh, my two kids do that. You know, they do four hours of work and then they need a couple days off to recover. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I understand that, but but you know when when you're I was a manager of engineers at the time and can't manage people on twelve hours a week, especially when you used to be you know being a manager you're working more than more than forty hours a week. In October of uh, 2016, I I stopped working. Through that time, from the accident, so when I was still at home and not going to work, I figured I I, I had to have something to do. I didn't want to sit and watch TV. I needed to have, have something to do. And, and reading books was hard at that time. I'm doing better at reading books now. But way back when I was in high school, uh, we'll do a flashback here. Uh, I loved my art class. I still have contact with my high school art teacher. Great influence in my life. I got some uh, watercolor paper, some paintbrushes and some watercolor paint and started uh, painting while I was uh, recuperating. It started by painting some flowers. I think the first one I did was uh, California popping. did sunflowers and fiddlenecks and Pacific Coast iris that my son took a picture of and, and shared with me. I just started painting. And uh, as time went on, I painted uh, more and bigger pictures, different different themes. So, you know, I, I started doing more and more paintings. 
Right. And some uh, watercolor, some pen and ink. Uh, lately, I've been trying, uh, learning how to do acrylics some more and uh, just uh, enjoying that. So you, you mentioned that you, this was your high school art class. So it sounds like you reconnected right. with an old passion. But, you know, sometimes you hear about these people having some sort of a of a traumatic head injury and then all of a sudden they know how to speak fluent French and they never even yeah. spoke right, French yeah. before. I'm, I was just wondering if this was one of those, all of a sudden you had these mad painting skills after this accident, but it sounds like it was you kind of going back to something that was cathartic and something that you enjoyed well, and something that you yeah. had the, the, the time and, and willingness and attention to be able to contribute to. Yeah, I, I'm no miracle artist. <laughs> All of a sudden, you become a Vincent Van Gogh. Well, not quite. I, I thought Stephanie was going to was going to share this story. Yeah, he was in an accident. Next thing you know, and now he's a world renowned artist. You know, and he, you his, know. his no. paintings are going for four million dollars. You yeah. know, if they were, <laughs> then no. but, that makes retirement easier. Um, it would make retirement a whole lot easier. But um, I. Uh, Back in high school, I was thinking about what I wanted to major in in college, and I was thinking about majoring in fine art. And others around me, my parents and my math and science teachers in high school, suggested that I might want to study something I could make a living at. <laughs> um, good idea. <laughs> and actually, actually, I wonder: Are they saying that I'm not good enough to make a as an artist? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They get you. But you know, I, I also think. My senior year in high school, uh, I was one of the artists that was recognized as one of the outstanding artists in the art program there. So, you know, I, I must not have been that bad. I, I wanted to uh, ask you about more kind of how you weathered this, because I'm, I'm sure that there was days where you, you know, wanted to have a pity party for yourself because this isn't what you, you wanted, needed, or signed up for, but yet it happened. And so I, f I feel like overnight your life changed. And I feel like there's a lot of people that right now overnight their life has changed. And so how, yeah. how did you rise above that, you know, feeling of maybe pity for yourself, et cetera. Like w walk us through how you came out of this emotionally, mentally. That's a difficult question for me to answer. There were times when I had the thought that early on, this is just within the first month, I think. It didn't last very long, but there were times when I thought, you know, it would have just been better if I died. Not that I was wanting to kill myself, but it would have just been better if I was dead now instead of trying to go through this. I had a, a initially a uh, real problem with vertigo. I couldn't stand and you know, I was dizzy. I was laying on the ground, laying on the bed, and the room was spinning all around me. And you know, just those kinds of things just really make it difficult. I I grew up in a large family. I had I'm the fifth of nine children. I had a, a mom and a dad who taught us to just move forward. Often when you when you leave for to go to school, your mom will say, have a great day. My mom wouldn't say, have a great day. She'd say, make it a great day. Mm, I love that. Um, I just got raised by parents who taught us that you just move forward. You just do what you can do. And you know, I was never great at anything I ever did. Uh, I've done a lot of good things. Just keep going. It's, and and life threw you a different path, you know, and now the next chapter yeah, comes in, yeah. you know, it's like, that's right. 
You know, I, I, my favorite hat to wear is um, one that says never give up. And I think it's, it's just that idea, that subliminal idea that no matter what you face, no matter what comes at you, you just got to, to move forward. Yeah. You can't, you got to persevere. You got, you can't give up. And, yeah. you know, I think that it's easy to say, but like if every time I stood, I had vertigo, then like it would make it so I did not want to, you know, yeah. do, do much of anything. <laughs> well, and that's, I, I could, I could see a, I, I think it'd be very difficult to find hope in that environment. Now, are, are you spiritual at all? Do you, I mean, did you find comfort in faith? Um, so uh, other than your parents kind of just saying, you got to put one step, one foot in front of the other and, and move forward. Did you, did you draw on anything else to yeah. kind of, you know, uh, bridge so, that gap so for I grew, you? I grew, up, I grew up in a religious family. We're uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, you know, I, I did all the things that, the, that members of that church do. Just the, the, the teachings and the values that uh, were instilled in me through through that process of growing up with religion and with, is what really I think gave me the strength to be able to go on. Faith is um, so important to fostering hope. I mean, it's very difficult to have hope if you don't yeah. have faith, you know, because then everything just feels like, yeah. you know, it, it's much easier to become a victim in that, you know, like, wh- why did this happen to me, yeah. etc. But, you know, when you have belief in something bigger than yourself, faith in, in a creator, faith in God, everything happens for a reason. And, and the reality of it is, is I think that you can find hope. It's easier to find hope with faith yeah. than it is without, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. So since the accident, how has life been sweeter for you? After the accident, my son uh, said, well, now that you're not working, maybe you can be an art docent for my daughter's fifth grade class. So my granddaughter, I volunteered to, to go to her fifth grade class and do art projects once a month. It's hard to describe how exhausted I am after spending one hour with fifth graders. Um, <laughs> hey, for any parent that's out there, I think that the same is true. Or anybody that's babysat somebody else's kids well, that are that are yeah, five years old. Well, throw in a brain injury and that gets even worse. <laughs> Ten times worse. Yeah. You, you know, one of the things that, that you said earlier that I, that I have often marveled at is like when you are using your brain a lot, it's amazing how much of your body's energy it consumes. You know, mm-hmm. your whole point yeah. about working for four hours and then having to take, you know, the rest of the day off and then the following day off. Like, it's just fascinates me it how, powerful, on your yeah, body. how powerful the brain is. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and in about 15 minutes here, my brain is going to start. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> powering down. <laughs> yes. Re- um, reach the end so, of its uh, energy reserves for the day. Yeah. Working with these kids gives me energy in one sense, but it, it, it when I get out to the car into the parking lot, I have to take 15 minutes and just kind of do mindfulness uh, exercises and, and meditation to get my brain to calm down. It's really a valuable thing for me to do that, and I've done that now for I'm on my fourth year of doing it with my grandkids, with different grand, grandchildren. Um, it's so energizing and, and exciting for me to see the kids 
enjoy doing art. Another thing that I started doing after the accident was I, I got, uh, I've been a member of the Crocker Art Museum for a while, and I got an email from them uh, talking about a need, they're having an open house for people who might be interested in becoming a, a family program guide. We, we don't get to be full-fledged citizens, we just uh, get trained in, in working with preschoolers and kindergartners and taking them on, on a 50-minute tour of the museum and do activities that emphasize different elements of art, line and shape and color and texture and those kinds of things. I, I went through that training, and uh, now when the museum's open and during the school year, twice a month I go to the Crock Art Museum and do, uh, do tours with little kids. And that's another thing I get done, and I just, wow, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, would Im- but, I would imagine that. Take it, is, it, it, is, it is so much fun. <laughs> I couldn't do more than uh, I've tried doing a couple of times. We had to have, we had two schools come in one right after the other. And I've done one tour and then turned around and done a tour right after that. And uh, the second tour, I could feel like, man, I hope they're not looking at me. What is that guy saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes unintelligible at that point. So I have a, I have a question yeah. for you, Matt. For those of our listeners that maybe are feeling like their life has been upended from somebody that has had his life upended. Um, what would you say to people right now that are experiencing anxiety, worry, concern over, you know, maybe their finances? Sounds like you had some of that yourself with uh, after your accident. But what, what could you say to them that might, um, you know, engender a little hope in their, in their hearts and, and in their lives? There are others around you. Seek out someone who is positive and hang around with them. If you have a, a religious background, seek help from God. If you don't, seek help uh, from friends. Try and find someone who can be positive with you and talk about positive things instead of dwelling on all of the bad things that are happening. No one can get through this life alone. I agree with you completely. You need to surround yourself with a lot of positive things. You need people. to sur- surround yourself with positive people, positive mindset, positive focus. Yeah. My story has another twist to it that I want to share with you right now. That my wife and I were fortunate to have some money from uh, inheritance that uh, we took and and bought some property where I could kind of get away from from everything. Uh, <laughs> we found a property that had uh, had a workshop that I used as my art studio, and uh, this property was outside. Was officially the res- the address was Oroville, but uh, it was in a in a community, not really a town, a community, an area of Butte County called uh, Concow. And we had that for a little over a year. I had all of my art uh, materials up there. I had all of the high school art that I had done, you know, 40-something years ago, stored up there. And then uh, November 8th, 2018 happened, and uh, the campfire roared through there and, and left my art studio in, in ashes. The hardest thing for me was going up there a month later after the fire when I was first able to go up and looking at just nothing and realizing that all of my high school artwork was gone. I, I can't get it back. It's gone. I can't turn time back. I, there, there's, there's nothing I can do. I've got some photographs of it, and I have, uh, have memories. What do you do? So I, I just thought, you know, it just gives me a chance to do it all over again. 
That was my practice round, and now I get to do it over again. And some of the things I've done over again, some of them, um, I, I just think I, I, there's no way I could do that again. But I'm doing new things. We had insurance for the property, so it, it wasn't a, a financial loss. You, know, you, you see pictures of burned houses, and there's still a lot of the house stuff because the firemen come and put things out, and then you, you see stuff that's half burned. And But when there's no firemen to come to put the fire out, there's nothing left. Uh, I went around and looked. Uh, I, I found uh, the glass from the frames that were, you know, the, of my paintings that were hanging in the, in the uh in the house, I saw there was a lump of, of blue in the middle of my studio. It must have been a tube of ultramarine blue paint. The outside, the, the tube part of it was gone, but the paint inside had, was, was still there. You just look around, and, and those are the kinds of things that you find. And then I had the idea that I could take the charred wood remains of that were, that were you know, still still there and I could I scraped some of it off. Actually, I scraped quite a bit of it off into a into a bucket. And then I I bought a kit to make my own watercolor paint. And I got a mortar and pistol and ground up the 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 charcoal or whatever you know, the, the the remains of that that wood from my studio. Made it into as fine a powder as I could, and then went through the process of making that into paint. And and now when I do watercolor paints. Uh, paintings. There's always a little bit of that black paint in those paintings. Back in the 60s, my family went to go see the Disney movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> Love that movie. I, I don't know if you re- I don't know if you remember the one the one song in that movie where the inventor's father was kidnapped and he's supposed to create a car that will fly and float and stuff. The other inventors around him sing this song uh, that has the refrain of from the ashes of disaster grow the roses of success. And while I was standing there looking at this devastation around me, that's what came to my mind from the ashes of disaster. I need to go find the roses of success. I love Uh, that. And I think that that is absolutely awesome to take fragments to take some of the ashes of what you lost and to put that into something that you're creating beautiful and new you are doing exactly that that's the path that i have to take last november i started taking a a class an online course called making art making money and uh, the idea is to help me understand how can i make my art into more of a, a business how can i sell my my art this class has really helped me. It starts off by helping the student to understand who they are and what their mission is. You go through a process. I won't take the time to explain it all here, but it's amazing to me how it helped me to really focus from painting just things like flowers and landscapes and stuff to being able to, to take my emotions and put it onto paper or canvas. Um, I developed a, a mission that basically says life turns people upside down every once in a while. And some people approach it with negativity and worry about the things that they can't do and other people are positive and just focus on moving forward and what they can do. And I want to inspire people to stretch their limits 
to focus on the things that they can do and to have hope for their future and to, to just be positive. You know, when, when life turns you upside down, sometimes you just have to turn it upside down again. Life happens and I can't dwell on the past. I need to learn from the past. I need to, to accept the past and I need to, to figure out, okay, this is how I move forward. Well said. Well said, Matt. I, I really, really appreciate you coming on uh, our show, our podcast today to talk about your life, to talk about what you've been through, talk about what you've overcome. And the reality of it is, is that you are inspiring. You inspired me today. Yes, and me as well. And you inspired my wife as well. And I'm sure you're going to inspire our listening audience. So uh, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for you're coming welcome. on our show. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for talking with me. And, yes. and uh, I, I like, you know, if my, my mission, as I said, is to inspire people to, to move forward and to, right. to make things positive. And if I can help people with do that um, with this podcast or, you know, if they want to contact me and, and want to see my art, uh, I'd be happy to do that, too. I've got a web page with my art on it. Yeah, what is that? Include let's, that somewhere. Yeah, let's yeah, share that. Yeah, what is that. your web page? Um, Hughes of the World. H U E S of the World dot com. Hughes of the World dot com. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. We'll make sure that um, our listeners know how to find you there. Yes. Thanks for for talking with me. And- Jen, what did you think about our interview with Matt? That was awesome. Yeah, what a nice guy. I really liked talking with him. I will always remember that quote. I did not know that quote from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but I will not ever Mm -hmm. forget it now. From the ashes of disaster grow the roses of success. Yes. That's awesome. It's super awesome. That's 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 a great mantra for, I think, right now. For life. Like right now, the ashes of disaster. Like this is Mm -hmm. like economically disastrous right now, what we're going through with this pandemic. But the ashes are going to grow the flower of success. The roses. Oh, I'm sorry. The roses. Sometimes (laughs) I get that. Here I said I was going to remember the whole thing and I was going to carry it with me in life moving forward. And I forgot the most important piece. That's why I'm your partner in crime. Partner in life. (laughs) Just Jen. Crime? Have we done crime lately? No, but I mean, if we had to, we yeah, I'd be a partner. <laughs> With me to we're the end. It, we're in it till the end. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I loved that interview. I thought Matt had some great points and... You know, to, to come through what he's come through mm-hmm. and to reconnect with a childhood passion and early, you know, high school passion of his and uh, to now frame that moving forward. And yeah. then... Just the fact that when he's going through it, he thought, you know, like maybe I just shouldn't be here. Yeah. And for him to overcome that because everyone has those feelings at some point in their life when they're going through something that that is horrific or a tragedy and for him to fight and say, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm going to, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to get through this. So I think I, I agree. And I think what he's doing to take the physicality of him taking ash Mm -hmm. from his burned studio grinding that so fine that he actually can use it and put it into paint and then using that to paint something beautiful and Mm -hmm. new now i i feel like that's a metaphor for overcoming all adversity take the ashes of it then Mm -hmm. use it to fuel you moving forward what what a great visual such a cool thing to do like 
I, I, I love that he's doing that. I want one of his pictures. Me too. You can go check him out though on his website, right? Yes. You can find him at hughesoftheworld.com. Artwork by Matt Harline. So I, I want some of that ashes to something beautiful in my painting. Okay. I'm going to make a special request. Okay. I think you really should. <laughs> but that was awesome. And, um, you know, here's what else you should know. Are you prepared? Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Tomorrow, we're going to have an incredible interview. Okay. We're going to interview. They're, they have all been incredible, though. They all have. Okay, but tell me about this incredible Tomorrow, one. Tomorrow's really special, though. This okay. is this is Bethany Jackman. Mm-hmm. We're going to interview her, and uh, she's a survivor of the Columbine High School shooting. Oh. Back in 1999. And so we're going to talk with her about how it's transformed her life, what she learned, mm-hmm. how she's overcome. Pretty pretty incredible interview. I'm, yeah. I'm uh, excited for that. That'll be a great interview. All right. So same time, same place tomorrow. We're going to be back. Sounds good. More hope, more inspiration. I like it.